expected and the, the joy that comes from singing together. A uh, wonderful opportunity and uh, just a great joy. And it's wonderful certainly to remember the Lord this morning uh, as we have in his great gift, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came from heaven, the one who we remembered this morning. Indeed, we do exalt him. It's a great joy to be here this morning. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, And uh, there are some here that uh, go way back in our history. That would be the Clifford boys. We knew them as as little folk. Uh, We would call them General Camp Nuisance, GCNs, uh, from our days at Camp Berea. But that relationship that developed many, many years ago uh, continues to uh, thrive today. And it continues into other generations. Uh, Our son David has made quite an, uh, renewed that friendship with uh, James and John and their wives and their kids. And I just learned last night that, Brian, you're part of that equation too. So it's wonderful to be, to know that. I'm going to have to speak to my son that he didn't let us know. But nevertheless. Well, I don't know if you've ever thought of yourselves as a missionary, but if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and you're walking with him, you are indeed a missionary. Our uh, lives uh, have been characterized by 20 years of service in the Philippines from 1985 to 2006. And then in 2006, we were invited to uh, partake in the ministry at Christian missions in many lands. And we've left some things on a table or uh, something here in the foyer uh, as it relates to CMML. Uh, Two things, the Missionary Prayer Handbook is a vital prayer tool as well as the magazine. And if you're not getting the magazine to your home, delivered to your home, we, we brought some cards, and all you have to do is fill out those cards. We'd be happy to uh, mail that uh, magazine to you. It comes out 11 times a year. Uh, it is uh, full of three or four missionary articles, missionary interest articles written by missionaries, by and large, and excerpts from letters that we receive at CMML from our workers abroad. And so we're grateful for this assembly's um, support of Christian missions in many lands. Uh, And there has been time when we have uh, cared for workers that you have sent. Ken and Joyce Hardesty uh, are actually at CMML this weekend taking taking care of things that we probably should be taking care of. No, he has a speaking engagement, but they often uh, uh, come when they're speaking in the New Jersey area. So, again, just to think about the fact, have you ever thought of yourself as, as being a missionary? If you, in your Bibles, would turn to John chapter 4, we're going to pick up the, the account in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I don't know if you've ever grappled with questions like, what is my purpose for being here on earth? Or what would God have me to do to bring others to know himself? Questions like, well, what is missions all about? And does the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ come before everything else in my life? Those are thought-provoking questions that we really do need to to grapple with. But I just wanted to uh, point to a portion of Scripture that I think helps us. It certainly was an opportunity for the Lord to help His disciples see themselves as, as servants, as missionaries. So let's pick up the reading in John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. 
Verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. Don't lose sight of that statement that John makes for us. Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Take note of that time. Verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Now as the story unfolds, you'll have no trouble visualizing what's going on here. Jesus left an area and went to another area. But the scriptures tell us that he needed to go by or through Samaria. We take note of the time of day. And now we start to take note of some dialogue that's taking place. You have no trouble visualizing what's going on here. Jesus, Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of living water springing up to eternal life. And we'll continue to read portions of that account as we develop what is going on here. You may be familiar with this story, I haven't been able, this illustration, I haven't been able to verify if it's really a true one, but it's a good one as we think about perspective, as we think about perspective. So bear with me as I read this account. In the darkest part of the night, a ship's captain cautiously piloted his warship through the fog-shrouded waters. With straining eyes, he scanned the hazy darkness, searching for dangers lurking just out of sight. Then his worst fears were realized when he saw a bright light straight ahead. It appeared to be a vessel on a collision course with his ship. And to avoid disaster, he quickly radioed the oncoming vessel. This is Captain Jeremiah Smith, his voice cracked over the radio. Please alter your course 10 degrees south. Over. To the captain's amazement, the foggy image did not move. Instead, he heard back on the radio, Captain Smith, this is Private Thomas Johnson. Please alter your course 10 degrees north. Over. Appalled at the audacity of the message, the captain shouted back over the radio, Private Johnson, this is Captain Smith, and I order you to immediately alter your course 10 degrees south. Over. 
A second time, the oncoming light did not budge. With all due respect, Captain Smith, came the private's voice over the radio again, I order you to alter your course immediately. Ten degrees north, over. Angered and frustrated that this impudent sailor would endanger the lives of his men and crew, the captain growled back over the radio, Private Johnson, I can have you court-martialed for this. This is the last time I command you on the authority of the United States government to alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. The private's final transmission was chilling. Captain Smith, sir, once again, with due respect, I command you to alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. It just gives a little illustration. And again, I don't know how true the story is. It's a great story, but I don't know how true it is. Nevertheless, it gives us just a, a glimpse into perspectives. Perspectives. As we look at this account of Jesus encountering the Samaritan woman at the well, we certainly take note of verse 4 where it says he had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to pass through Samaria? Well, indeed, it was the shortest distance, but the disciples would have certainly urged the Lord to take the longer distance and circumvent Samaria. But I want us to understand that Jesus while he was here on earth, was indeed very subject to the providential plan of his heavenly Father. He also had a missionary heart. That is, he, in his missionary heart, was compelled to go through Samaria. There was a woman waiting there for him. She didn't know it, but Christ was about to turn her world upside down. And he had a lesson about being missionaries, something that he wanted to certainly impress upon the hearts and minds of his disciples. He wanted to teach his disciples. As he's teaching his disciples, he's teaching you and me today. His disciples were preoccupied with other things. In fact, we read on in verse 27 that they simply marveled that he would take time to talk to a woman of Samaria. In fact, the scriptures tell us that the disciples were more interested in eating. I can identify with that. More interested, more concerned about eating. Scriptures tell us that they went into town to buy food. And when they came back and saw what was going on, none of them asked, what do you do or why are you seeking her and why are you talking with her? It was the Lord who initiated the dialogue. And so, as it unfolds, he's confronting them. He challenges them about the importance of being missionaries. And he helps describe for them what it means to be an effective, how it means to be an effective missionary. And so you and I, this morning, if we open our hearts and minds, we can learn from this incident. One of the things that certainly stands out is things that need to change. 
And in this particular case, priorities need to change. A change in priorities. We really see here a uh, conflict in values. A conflict in values. And as such, the Lord seems to clarify uh, those values. And I think it's fair to say that Jesus valued people over prejudices. The Lord Jesus Christ valued people over prejudices. The disciples would have certainly preferred and probably at all costs would have avoided uh, going through Samaria. But verse 4 tells us that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They could tolerate the Romans. They could tolerate the tax collectors. But it's very clear that they despised Samaritans. They hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were ones that uh, were uh, secured by the country of Assyria. They took the Jews from northern Israel and brought them into their people where they intermarried. Uh, Jew and Gentile were in harmony, and it resulted in a despised ethnic group. They wanted to be recognized as Jews, but Ezra tells us that that was refused. Samaritans modified the books of Moses to fit their theology. The Samaritans worshipped at Gerizim, not Jerusalem. There was that issue, too, of, of intermarriage that we just alluded to. And so they were a hated race of people. And that hatred is somewhat illustrated or somewhat showcased, somewhat reflected in the reply given by the Samaritan woman when the Lord asked her for a drink of water. She says, now we don't, we don't have the, the inflections, the tone, the, we don't have that at our disposal as we read this account. But she asks, how is it that a Jew asks me for a cup of water? I mean, the Samaritans were perpetually unclean people. And, take it a step further, women were held in low regard. In fact, the teaching of the day by rabbis hinted that to talk to a woman too much, even one's wife, was a waste of time. Now, that's back in those days, okay, just so you understand. I'm not trying to bring this into the 21st century. There was a Jewish proverb that also went like this. I thank God that I'm not a Gentile or a woman. I mean, these are, these are things that we just wouldn't tolerate today. Talking to a woman would take time away that was needed to study the Torah and be so great and evil that it could actually lead to going to hell. It was more inappropriate to teach your daughter the Torah than it was to sell her into prostitution. But here the Lord Jesus Christ intentionally challenges the disciples' prejudices and their priorities. The Lord is challenging 
the disciples' prejudices and their priorities. And this was done intentionally. Now, just in the quietness of these few moments together, would you allow the Lord to challenge your prejudices and my prejudices, your priorities and my priorities, for just a moment? And certainly by example here, Jesus showed that people are more important than prejudices. And if we are totally honest with each other and ourselves, we all have prejudices. And the challenge this morning is don't let prejudices get in the way of sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prejudices. We all have them. We all have them. Conservative, liberals, Republicans, Democrats, whites, blacks, people not of our race. We need to understand, need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus teaches his disciples that Samaritan women are worth loving and they're worth saving. I don't need to remind any of us today of current events and how prejudices just rise to the top almost every day as we hear and read uh, news, see it on a television, the LGBTQ community. How are we going to deal with those that prefer a gender other than what they were born with? Prejudices. Prejudices. Don't let prejudices get in the way of sharing the gospel, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's another priority change that the Lord brings to the hearts and minds of the disciples, and that is obedience. Obedience. Obedience is more important than comfort. Obedience is more important than comfort. We read in verse 8 that the disciples <laughs> went to town because they were hungry and they wanted to eat. And they believed that Jesus was hungry too. Why not? And here we see that they were valuing their own comfort. But in obedience, in obedience we see it contrasted with the response of the Samaritan woman. And it was revealed in two ways. I think we need to read uh, that portion of Scripture. We pick up the reading at verse 27. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, why do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? Verse 28, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. 
obedience. After this encounter that the Lord had with the woman at the well, we see it revealed in two things, two actions. The woman left her water pots, as highlighted for us in verse 28, and as such forgot about her need for water and actually forgot about why she came when she came. Now we need to look at that just a little bit more fully. In those days, it would have been more appropriate for women charged with drawing water from a well to do it early in the morning before the heat of the day. And it was often done in small groups. It was a bit of a social time together. And yet the scriptures tell us that this woman, this woman, came at the sixth hour, which would have been, in that time frame, noon. The hottest part of the day, and we would take note that there was no other women with her. She did it by herself. She was, in, uh, in a very real sense, a social outcast. And after the encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ... She abandoned her physical need for water and abandoned her social need for privacy. It's because she valued evangelism over comfort. She valued obedience over personal comfort. And then the Lord did a a neat thing. He taught the disciples the very same thing. The disciples had gone into town and they had purchased food. They returned with the food and urged the Lord to eat. And verse 32 tells us that the Lord refused to eat. He says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And it's a strong statement this morning that reminds us it isn't about you and me being comfortable. Comfort is not the goal of our work. No, our goal, our goal is obeying God. And He's calling you and me to share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ with the world. I love that song that we sang, It's All About You. It's All About You, Lord. It's easy to sing words when they're projected, but do we really seriously take to heart that which we sing? It's all about you. Not about me, not about my comfort. It's all about you, Lord. So what's the application here? Well, certainly in this particular instance, we're talking about uh, people ahead of prejudices. So what has to change? What has to change? I think you and I, as those who know and love the Lord and walking with Him, we've got to stop thinking that unbelievers are to be avoided. We need to love people who are lost, even though they may be doing things that we just absolutely hate. We must stop seeing the alcoholic as someone as being unreachable. We must stop seeing the drug addict as one who could never get clean. You and I need to stop seeing the homosexual too perverted 
to see God change them. And we would say the same with the LBGTQ community. We need to stop seeing the prostitute as one who's too scarred, too hardened to be broken before God. We need to stop seeing the intellectual as one never to change their opinion of truth. So as you ponder these things, as you meditate on these things, as you muse on these things, is God challenging you right now because of prejudices that you have with people groups? You know, it's something that isolates us and keeps us from evangelism. And so the question that I would have for us this morning, what can you and I do to begin valuing people over prejudices? And then we need to deal, too, with the comforts. We must let go of comforts in answering the question, just how important is it of spreading the gospel What comforts are you and I willing to let go of in order to see others saved? So that as we become more comfortable sharing the love of the Lord to others, are we willing to let go a desire to obtain or to attain a high lifestyle, to be enthusiastic, sacrificial, a supporter of his work? Are we willing to let go a desire to live in a familiar community to reach others? Are we willing to let go a desire to remain safe? I'm not talking about foolishly risking lives, our lives, but he may want you to risk your life to reach others for him. You've heard it said, I'll repeat it this morning, don't think it's strange that the path to heaven for those of the Muslim faith to be covered with the blood of believers who give their lives to reach them for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've had occasion to know, at least personally, two two who were co-workers, in a sense, while we had uh, served in the Philippines. Actually, three. The third one just came to mind. Who gave their life in sharing the gospel to Muslims. It was John Spears, 1991. He was living at the time, he was serving with CMML, he was serving at the time in the Metro Manila area, specifically reaching Muslims for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went down south to get a better handle on language, the Maguindanaoan language. And on an afternoon, a Monday afternoon, he was indiscriminately assassinated on a street corner in Mindanao for the purpose of learning the language better. You're uh, perhaps more familiar with the story related to Martin and Gracia Burnham. Martin was a graduate of Faith Academy in 1977. Uh, actually, Mary and I spent time with Marcia and, Marcia and uh, Gra- uh, sorry, Martin and Gracia Burnham in their allocation on the island of Palawan. And he was showing us some of the things that he was doing. He was an aviator, had modified a, a plane so that uh, more cargo could be safely flown to the remote areas uh, that New Tribes, at that time, New Tribes was serving. 
And just three weeks uh, before he was kidnapped was at Faith Academy, and he engaged me in conversation, wanting the assurance that his ninth grader, soon-to-be ninth grader, would be well cared for at Faith Academy. And I assured him as best I could. And then we got the news three weeks later that he and uh, 17 others had been taken hostage by the Abu Sayyaf. About a year later, in a botched crossfire, Martin's life was extinguished. Uh, Gracia, thankfully, is going on for the Lord and uh, sharing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then a third missionary, a fellow by the name of Bill Hyde, was at a Davao airport waiting to bring um, missionaries uh, who had flown in, and uh, he was he was killed uh, in a bomb that went off at the airport in Davao City. Don't think it's strange that the path to heaven for many Muslims will be covered with the blood of believers who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. So we're talking about a change in priorities. A second change would be a change in perspective. A change in perspective. Now, consider the, uh, the contrast here. The disciples certainly had an intimate, long-term contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, in that relationship, there didn't seem to be any concern for the lost. But look at the Samaritan woman. The deep prejudices uh, didn't, uh, didn't care about the Samaritans. I mean, they, 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 could, they could go to hell. That's what their perspective was. And clearly, their eyes were not on the field. No, their eyes were on food. But by contrast, the Samaritan woman left her water pots and goes on a mission trip to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. The true disciples of Jesus, <laughs> they were blind to the needy. But the woman wastes no time to proclaim about the one she hardly even knew. Well, why? How can this be? Well, the problem is explained in verse 35. Let's read verse 35. Do not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and other reaps. I have sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Well, this was actually a proverb of the day. It was used to indicate that you just need to be patient. It would be like saying today Rome wasn't built in a day. If you want a new chariot, you save your shekels, and when you have enough, you go and buy it. Remember, there are four months, then comes the harvest. But Jesus contradicts this flawed wisdom and says, don't say that there are four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. One writer was saying, just imagine as the Lord was making that statement, at that very moment, they look, they lift up their eyes and they look and they see men dressed in white coming from the town with the Samaritan woman to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And essentially what the Lord is saying here is, get your eyes off materialism and see the world. Get your eyes off your needs and see the world. Get your eyes off your fears and see the world. Get your eyes off your pursuits, especially as it relates to your own pleasure, and see the world. You've got to have a change in your perspective. And yet, I think we would all admit just how challenging and how difficult it is when we live in a country like the United States, a country of great affluence. Some here this morning might be saying, I really don't want to see the world. I know there are needs. But the world, it's just too big. Too many needs. What difference could I make? What difference could I make? You know, if you're thinking that this morning, maybe it's time to lift up your eyes. The perspective Jesus wants us to see is not the masses of people but rather that one solitary person that he's put right in front of us. Lift up your eyes and see your neighbor. Lift up your eyes and see a friend. Lift up your eyes and see a relative, a co-worker, a roommate. No, you cannot reach the world by yourself but you can reach the one God wants you to see. And so this morning, may we be encouraged to lift up our eyes. Lift up our eyes. So what is the significance of this account? There's certainly much more that we could perhaps draw out. And I would encourage you to read that passage, verses 1 to 42, uh, at a time convenient for you to review. But I think there's three things that I just want to close with this morning. The significance. And number one would be that this account shows us just how much Jesus loves the world. Here he was, he identified, he had to go through Samaria, he needed to go through Samaria for the sake of this one woman. A woman of low standing. A woman who, for all intents and purposes, was a social outcast. She was a Samaritan. Her marital status was atrocious. She had five husbands, and the one that she was with currently, she wasn't even married to. Yet, their conversation seems as though they were equal in their conversation. And it really does demonstrate for us this morning that Jesus' heart is indeed for all people. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The second thing that this account uh, brings to our attention is that it reminds us that only Jesus can offer salvation. He is the source of living water. He is the source of eternal life. That water comes from His heavenly Father 
and it lasts forever. And thirdly, and this is perhaps the the challenge that I would want us to, to really take to heart, it's important for you and I to offer and to share our testimony. And we take great encouragement that when this woman fully understood who Jesus was, she abandoned her physical need for water and abandoned her social need for privacy and immediately went into the town and share what she had just experienced with those in Sychar. Her words clearly made an impact. The Lord, the scriptures tell us that the Lord remained a couple more days, and many come, many had come to a saving knowledge of the Lord. So indeed, if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you are a missionary. Would you have the courage to pray the prayer, Lord, what would you have me to do to bring others to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for this account that we can see in your living word. We're grateful, Father, that you have given us a relationship, not by chance, but certainly by your providence. And Father, my prayer for all of us this morning would be that we would let our light so shine, that our lifestyle would be something that causes others to ask us about our behavior and open the door for us to have conversation. Father, there's people here this morning that have unsaved friends and unsaved relatives. And we want to pray for them for not praying for them would be like keeping our eyes down. We need to lift up our eyes. We would ask your help for doing that this day. We want to be ones to share and showcase the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you care for them, and that you ultimately want to give them eternal life. So help us, Father, to be courageous and to be willing to share the good news of the Lord Jesus. Thank you again for your many, many blessings to us. We trust and pray that all that has been said and sung today would be uh, something that brings great honor and joy to you. And we give thanks this morning in the precious name of the Lord we pray. Amen.